I chose Tulane's Executive MBA program as a means to gain skills in business law, management, finance, and value creation. Almost immediately after graduation, I was promoted to a chief judge role. Now, I am Chief Judge Tamia Gordon. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you grow up in New Orleans, you don't realize till some point later in life that the rest of the country doesn't live like you do. Sure, other places have smooth streets and you can make a left at the lights without having to go another half block to make a U-turn, but they don't have the music we do. They don't have the food we do. And another thing most people in America don't have is a part of their closet or big storage bin devoted to costumes. Here we all have a collection of costumes ready for anything from Mardi Gras to Halloween. Some of us also have a collection of wigs and many of us also have masks. And since 2011, things have gotten even better for serious costumers. That's when Wingate Jones opened his Southern Costume Company. Costumes are in Wingate's family. For 40 years, Wingate's dad was president of the legendary movie industry Western Costume Company in Los Angeles. After college and the military, Wingate worked in the wardrobe department at Universal Studios. Wingate's New Orleans Southern Costume Company provides costumes for movies and TV shows that are produced down here, including Academy Award-winning 12 Years a Slave, True Detective, and many more. Wingate Jones, welcome down to lunch. Hi. Another thing that's different about life in New Orleans compared to other cities is that outside of Mardi Gras, you don't have any pressure to look sharply dressed. We are all very tolerant of appearance here. You can go to most places in a tank top or t-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops, and people do, which makes the fashion house of Claudia Cravazzo uh, something of an anomaly. Claudia Cravazzo was a successful fashion house and label in the UK that relocated here to New Orleans in 2018. The label has a home in its stylish storefront on Magazine Street and has very quickly established itself selling couture, made-to-order dresses, ready-to-wear fashion, and beachwear. The founder and fashion designer at Claudia Cravazzo is, not incidentally, Claudia Cravazzo. <laughs> Claudia, welcome out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Wingate, I'm really interested in how you came to open Southern Costume. As I mentioned, you grew up in the world of Hollywood costumes, but you moved here to New Orleans and kind of gotten out of that world. And you were in the middle of a successful career in IT when the film business started picking up in Louisiana, thanks to the advent of the uh, state film tax credits, and you realized there was no costume house to service all these productions. So you jumped into the space and opened Southern Costume. I have a hundred questions about all of this. The first one is perhaps the most mundane, but also the most fascinating. When you decide to open a costume business and need hundreds, if not thousands of costumes from Nazi uniforms to pirates to vampire outfits and all the rest, where do you get all these from? It's my job. 
basically. I've you know been around the wardrobe business for many years, and and people ask me all the time, where do you get all your stuff? And I said, it's my job. It's what I do. So in the movies, we get a script, we read the story, we find out what the needs are in the story, and we have about two or three weeks, depending on the prep time, to put it all together. Uh, I've been afforded the opportunity with Southern Costume Company to have more prep time. I've, so far, I've had nine years, and you know we're going on ten, and so it just allows me to accumulate a, the collection. And then when you uh, do. You rent them to these folks and then they come back and they're part of your stable sort of? So all my stock is, is rentable, rentable stock. And we sometimes we take some of the free time that we have during the summer, for example, or some of our downtime, and we'll supplement our stock with things that we don't already have. I like to deal with um, what I consider Class A goods, which are production-ready goods, Class B being maybe not quite but passable and class C being which you can find in a bag somewhere that you know people a lot of people buy that you know $60 in a bag and you wear it and put it in your closet or, or throw it away but that's not you and that's not who we are and I've, I've experimented with that market and at the end of the day it's it's not who we are we're we're really a I hate to say a higher-end shop but that's really what we are and um, I think we're affordable but so we'll supplement by making things, or I'll go out and buy things that I think will add to that collection. And it's traditionally a Class A goods, again, production-ready costumes. Now, Claudia, if you were a musician, nobody would think it would be strange for you to move from the UK to New Orleans. But then you'd be just another musician in a city full of some of the most talented players in the world. Moving a fashion house to New York would seem to be a lot more sensible, but then you'd just be another designer in a city full of some of the biggest labels in the world. So moving to New Orleans could go one of two ways. On the one hand, because we don't have an established history of high fashion coming out of here in New Orleans, it seems that it would be a difficult business to establish. On the other hand, uh, you're not just another talented dress designer in a sea of them. So you have an opportunity here to make a real impact. Is this the kind of gambling conversation you had with yourself before you moved here or did you research the market and know what you were really getting into? I wish I could tell you it was that but it really was I moved here because I met my husband. <laughs> I wish I could have told you it was something exciting like that but really I met my husband in Vegas and yeah <laughs> we nearly got married in Vegas oh, within six hours of, of meeting yeah. and then Five days of being together, I came back to England and he followed me and dragged me over here. <laughs> you know, it was something I really didn't know much about. All I knew was that in England, I feel like women are a lot dressier. Just on the day-to-day -day basis, they'll put a dress and heels on to go to work. Or, you know, the weekend, I just go just to the pub, it's a dress and heels. It's not jeans and high heels. Like, I see a lot over here. So I was a little scared coming into it. But then learning more about Mardi Gras and all the balls that there, there is, I mean, the custom part of my um, business kind of really fits in well here because there's so many people that go to so many different balls and there's all these rules and regulations that people have to abide by. And there isn't that many places to shop here for everyone to have a single dress. So it really does work because people, everyone wants to be unique. They don't want to have the same dress on at the same ball. So it really is working. Now, you got into something that's actually very different, and that is you have a beautiful shop and magazine, but retailing is a tough business. What have you, what have you been surprised about? 
Well, I think it's always amazing when a perfect stranger like walks in from the street and doesn't really know anything about you, picks up your product, likes it, and you know buys it. That is, <laughs> I mean, it's it is it's, it is amazing for that to happen. I mean, when I was in England, the majority of my business was dressing celebrities. Um, and they don't really like to pay. <laughs> they want everything. Really? Yeah, they I make mean, good money, you know. Oh, I know. That's why they stay rich because you don't have to pay. <laughs> I mean, it's an honor to have your dresses on the red oh. carpet, and getting your name out there is it was it was the best thing I did working with celebrities. It's how I got into Vogue and Elle and all these different amazing publications that really got my name up there. And that is why I had to kind of start a ready-to-wear line because you can't really just dress celebrities it's just it's not feasible <laughs> um, so that's why I had to kind of branch out make a ready-to-wear line that I could afford to still make my couture gowns and dress the celebrities or have you know people coming off the street and then want the one-on-one pieces but Mardi Gras costumes are a they're a big slug of your business yeah and it takes a lot of preparation um, I usually tell people give me six if you want to dress I need six weeks time to you know make it and sit down and have a design consultation with you and half the people that walk in off the street they have kind of an idea in the head of how they want it to look but then they're not always certain do you know what I mean it's really hard to design for some people who don't really understand how to dress for their body type so <laughs> sometimes I have to say I don't know if I want to put my name to this design with you in it yeah I oh, mean wow. yeah you have to you can't you have to, I have to stay true to me as a designer and me as a brand right. and there's only certain things I will put my name to. Whereas Wingate never says, I just don't think you're going to look good in a girl outfit. Well, <laughs> we have the same difficulty. Really? We have, um, I, I find our hardest people that we do our made orders or MOs for are the people that know exactly what they want. Huh? And the people that know exactly what they want are usually, not all the time, but usually a little off base. The, I agree. And, and, <laughs> and so the hardest part is developing a, a relationship that's secure enough to be able to actually, without having to come out and say, that looks horrible. Um, it, it's actually <laughs> building the relationship so that there's enough Trust that. simpatico there where you can honestly say, look, this is not, this is not going to work. Perhaps this will work better. And, um, and gaining that trust and allowing the customer to let you do what what we know is actually better. And Wingate, you got out of the whole costume business for a, a bit here. You were IT, I guess, over at Entergy. I was there for 10 years. What, um, what was it just the tax credits and the fact that we were uh, becoming a, a film place? I guess it was a combination of things. I had been, I had, had worked pretty hard the last 10 years of the 20 that I had devoted to that before I retired and when I retired I was tired I was burned out we were traveling I was mostly on the road seven months out of the year and six day work weeks and it was just it was a lot of work in order to maintain a house adjacent to Beverly Hills and this that and the other thing blah 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 so when I got out of it I was tired and and I just I was done and it took me about 10 years to get undone basically and I started to miss it I started to miss it, particularly after Katrina, when we were working really hard getting the systems back up at, at Entergy, and um, and we just it was, that was a that was a grind for a long time, and um, 
you know, one thing led to another, and I thought, well, you know, if I, if I open up a shop, I'll see some of these people that are coming in that are my peers and my friends from, you know, a number of years ago, and it'd be a great opportunity and provide a service to, you know, the production that was, that was coming in. Um, but, you know, we do more than just production. We do costume rentals to the public, and we do made orders for Mardi Gras or onesies. And when you're dealing with the movies, Wenke, who, who is your customer? Is it the, is it like the, the studio it's being shot in, or is it the people making the movie? Or? So as, as a company, we have, an account, we have accounts with probably 99% of the production companies that are in town. My customer is pretty localized to the costume supervisors and or the designers working on the film to facilitate the film's needs in production. And so those are my customers. That's who I interface with on a regular basis. At Western Costume Company, it was a little bit different um, because it was based in, in, in Los Angeles. It was owned by five of the major studios. So there was a vested interest for the studios to get their work done at Western. So growing up, for me, it was nothing to see John Wayne or Henry Fonda or Gina Lollobrigida or anybody in the hallway at any one time. And the first major fitting I had was for Orson Welles. I think I was 17 years old. And, and I met Orson, he was sitting in a chair, he's as big as a house, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Um, but but they're, they're people, and that's something that my dad instilled in both my sister and I. They're, they're people, just like you and I are, and they're to be treated with respect. And of course, John Golden, who was my father, his rule was the golden rule, and it was, you know, treat others as you would have them treat you and, and so that's what we do um, and we do that in my shop as well at, at Southern. Now Claudia on your shop you've um, I think of you know somebody like yourself as the designer but you actually put the gown together right? Yeah so we make everything in-house I don't I used to sew I don't do the sewing anymore um, when I started the business I would do everything from the designing the fabric sourcing to the making the fitting uh, whereas now I do everything apart from the making I do the fitting I do the designing the fabric sourcing everything like that but as far as sewing I actually hate sewing <laughs> I love love drawing love fabric sourcing love seeing my creations come to life but actually sewing I can't stand it I had to do too much of it in university and with doing internships hand sewing embellishments you would think I'd hate using embellishments because the amount of holes I had in my fingers from doing it um, I so, those holes. <laughs> <laughs> but, so now I really don't like to do the sewing I mean I've, I'm hands-on with everything but I don't I oversee everything you'd mentioned ready to wear for somebody that's not in that business how should I think of that versus your traditional business so, um, every fashion house has a ready-to-wear line. Um, it's basically, so when fashion was, you know, back in France and it had the couture houses and in Paris, every couture house had their in-house atelier. And back then, that was couture. So, what I do as, like, a couture designer is still kind of staying true to the Parisian, like, having your in-house atelier. But now having a ready-to-wear line, can, most fashion houses have one now just because... It's not the days of when it first started and everybody doesn't wear feather hats and boas and corsets anymore. So um, They do at Wingate's place. There's, uh, there's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, you, we, had, we had to, you know, design for the way the world is working. And so I'm, I'm still true to myself as a designer, um, but 
I can't design everyday like couture dresses. I have to have you know sundresses or little two pieces. You know, I'm I'm still very high end evening wear, but it isn't like ball gowns. Basically. But you've gotten into some things that are, um, you know, kind of a leap a little bit, like beachwear. So the beachwear was something I kind of designed. Most of my designs I kind of do in a sense for, like, how I would want to be viewed. Um, I got so frustrated with the basic bathing suits, and I'm a Vegas partier. I like to go to Miami. <laughs> and so I was like, what? I want something that I would wear. So my beachwear isn't exactly like go and get in the pool and do some laps. It's <laughs> put your wedges on and you throw and you curl your hair and you're at a pool party kind of beachwear. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with fashion designer and retailer Claudia Cravazzo and Wingate Jones, owner of Southern Costume Company. We'll be right back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with fashion designer Claudia Cravazzo and Wingate Jones from Southern Costume Company. Claudia and Wingate, this is the part of the show we call the interview. Both of you have businesses that employ people. Picking the right person to work for you can be a tough task. You only have a limited amount of conversation to decide if this person is going to be a good fit for you and the company. Lately, there's been an interesting trend in the workplace interview. It consists of asking job applicants questions that go beyond what's on their resume. I have a list of 16 of these interview questions in front of me. I'm going to ask you each to pick a number between 1 and 16, and I'll ask you one of these questions. What I want to know is how would you expect someone to answer the question and what their answer would tell you about them? Who wants to go first? Ladies first. Oh, that's what I would say, too. Number one through 16. Uh, five. Okay. What if you asked them this? This one's got to work. Uh, what did you have for breakfast? What do you think they would... What would you want them to say? The way they describe it to you, or... I'd be like, it's not your business what kind of what I ate before I came into work. <laughs> Something substantial to keep me, my energy going throughout the day. There we go. That's uh, so that you're... You've got vim and vigor, and you're going to be able to work for me. Yeah. Okay, so looking for a good eater. Well, I mean... Somebody I, takes care of themselves. Yeah, someone who ha- lives a healthy lifestyle. You don't want them calling in sick every two minutes. So I guess, yeah, someone's saying, well, you know, I got up this morning, and I worked out, and then I had a green smoothie, and then, yeah, and I'm ready to take on the day. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's all lies. That's what you want to hear. <laughs> Well, that's fine. This will work out fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wingate, this is the question you're going to ask the applicant. Is yeah, that... I have to go back to that, though. Because okay. <laughs> if I asked them what they had for breakfast, and then I, as an employer, I'd want to know, well, when do you do this? Do you do this before you come in, or do you do this on the clock when you get in? Oh, oh, yeah. Because yeah. that's important. That's, Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plan their day. Yeah, we can't have them. You're not paying for you to eat. Eating Cinnabon yeah. in the back with the costumes. Yeah. No, there's a. Um, I think this one will, will work for you though. Um, what was the last gift you gave someone? So you're asking. You're not asking me when the last. Yeah, uh, you're, you're going to ask asking applicant. My, my applicant. What do you want? And, to, what do you think he'll say? What do I want them to say? Uh, what was the last gift you gave to someone? You know, I'm I'm kind of practical guy, and if they just told me it was mom's birthday present, I would go great. You know, that's fabulous. So that's, you wouldn't want really uh, or some... Mother's Day or Father's Day or 
and uh, and what did what did, you, what did you get them? Would that tell you anything if they told you what the gift was? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I don't know if any of that really has any. Yeah, no, the. Uh, I think some I think some interviews like that is just too much. I just want to know if you're going to turn up on time, if you're reliable, and can you can you sew these dresses and. Do you need some and everyone says that? yes, and not everyone can do it. Believe me, I've gone through my fair share of people here. <laughs> they, now, how has it been looking for? It's been extremely difficult here. Um, I, hate to say this but I feel like the work ethic in New Orleans is pretty dire um it's difficult to find reliable people so when you do and it's hard work look after them (laughs) yeah Yeah. um but yeah I've had this a lot I mean this this city is a lot of people that sew here there is a lot of people but like it's a lot of costume and kind of um not always high-end costume so, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've interviewed people and I always give them a project. Sometimes you hear back from them. Sometimes they don't even come back at you because... Just you, assigning them something can Well, send them I back try and give them my hardest piece because if you can make the hardest piece, then you can do everything else. So what I do is I give them a hard design to make the pattern, sample, and bring it in. And if, if it's good, then... They're hired. If, if they usually they don't usually come back to me if they can't do it. They don't even bother coming in. I get, I just get ghosted by applicants. So, <laughs> Wingard, what about yourself when you're hired? Um, and, and your dad hired all those people because he hired you. That was one easy hire. But well, I was a that was, I was a shoe in. You know? <laughs> Fifteen, you know, first summer job. I the it, that's a hard process for me too. I get um, I I. I use Craigslist, and, and I, I'll put an ad in Craigslist, and I'll say what I'm looking for. It could be a seamstress. It could be a customer on the floor to help run customers through. Um, but I recently had to do a seamstress. I'm losing my number one girl. Um, she's awesome, and they're hard to come by. Um, and I was just floored when she told me that, that she was leaving. Wingy, do you just find uh, the costume that's been a been described to you or sometimes do you have to design it we 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 design we we can and i was just telling chloe i i i guess my my forte is a cost is as a costume supervisor um which enables me to facilitate getting all the components together in order to have what we need the day of whether we're um in front of the camera or whether we're doing Mardi Gras, a float, a parade, or a tableau, whatever it is. I have an art background. I know I can design. I have designed shows before, production. I just don't call myself a designer. I allow others in my shop to take that title because it makes them feel good. And it matters. You get that great thing, owner. It matters not a whit to me. I don't care it, it's not a it's not a it, it, it's not a it's not a thing for me my thing is to position our company in such a way that we can serve you the customer that's my thing and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to make a buttload of money doing that because we're not we're in the costume business maybe there's a better opportunity in the couture thing or somewhere else I'm not sure, um, but again, that doesn't matter. What matters is um, being in a position to be of service, and and I think that that's what we do. And I that's where I that's as a company that's where I 
place the emphasis, and that's where my pride comes from. Now, when somebody walks into that shop you've got there, it's a little overwhelming. Is there someone that... It's overwhelming for nine out of ten people that come in here that, that have never seen it before. But it's a typical Hollywood-style costume house. There's a front office, and then there's the warehouse where we have the collection or the what I call the closet. Um, and then behind that, which is even further removed, it's still in the same space as the tailor shop. And most of our customers don't get back to the tailor shop unless they come in and they have something that they want to design or have made. Or if they're really big like Orson Welles and you need... Or if they're really big like Orson Welles and we have to make something to <laughs> manage, right? <laughs> Claudia, not so much on the ready-to-wear side, but on the couture side, um, how do you market? I mean, is, is it social media or it's such a fine... It's a narrow strip of where you're going for. Um, yeah. What do you do? Well, I mean, I even have it in big, gold, bold writing on the window. We make custom gowns here. But still, you have to tell everybody that walks in the door because I guess people just miss that. When I try to make big, elaborate window displays. One of my first window displays I actually did was like a little atelier kind of room basically to allow people to know that, hey, we make the dresses right here and we do, like, I'm a designer, but still it didn't quite get through. Um, what if you wore that ruler around your neck or something? <laughs> well, I mean, I that. normally do have the tape measure around my <laughs> neck. And, I, I'm, you know, everyone that walks in the door, I try to educate them a little bit without, like, overpowering them. That like, hey, we make everything here in-house. If something doesn't fit right, we can, you know, tailor it to you. Um, I also work on custom gowns, too. So, I, I, really, I mean, trying to do it social media sometimes is just, it's hard. I think word of mouth is probably the easiest way to do it. So, word of mouth, and then you're going to, you, um plan to do shows for instance uh, yeah so I always like to do a fashion show just to showcase like my ability of you know what I can do um, I start with kind of my like ready to wear pieces so people can actually buy right from the runway and hey this is going to be online I don't do fashion shows like um, the rest of the kind of fashion industry does when I put something on this sh- on the runway you don't have to wait till the next season to buy it you can actually come in and buy it and would these be out of town or do you think you can build uh, situation here where you have runway shows here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I I, I want to you know show New Orleans what I can do. Um, so yeah, absolutely keeping it in town and letting people know. And I think New Orleans is dying for something like this. So I'm hoping I can be the person to do that. The difference between reality and perception can be instructive. Perhaps most of us have the perception that New Orleans is a city that is not very focused on clothes and fashion. But the reality is we put serious time and effort into looking good when we want to, especially Mardi Gras on Halloween, the most comprehensive costume supplier for Mardi Gras, movies, and other costume occasions is Wingate Jones Southern Costume Company. And despite perception to the contrary, if you stroll along Magazine Street, you'll see plenty of evidence of both men's and women's fashion. One of the bright stars on that Magazine Street stroll is the storefront of Claudia Cavazzo. Claudia and Wingate, it has been great to meet you both. Thank you for taking the time to join me today and out to lunch. 
Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks for having me. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Claudia Cravazzo. She's the founder and fashion designer at the fashion label and retail store Claudia Cravazzo and Wingate Jones, owner of Southern Costume Company. You can find out more about Claudia and Wingate's clothes and costumes by following the links on our website. It's neworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts, including Spotify. And you can find all of our podcasts at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com, It's New Orleans Out to Lunch Facebook page, and on Instagram at NOLA Out to Lunch. The photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. And by Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. Thank you.